Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's Suze. Suze. Today, I am joined by Gareth Joyner, a character comedian who makes a real splash on the drag circuit as Myra Dubois, Yorkshire songstress, and also as his new character, Frank Lavender, a working men's club comedian. Now, Gareth and I recorded this podcast in the Premier Inn where he was staying, because he's pretty big time, and there was a bit of noise from breakfast being cleared away, which dies down quite quickly, so don't be alarmed by the background noise at the beginning. It'll go, and one day I'll record all these in the studio. We talk about all manner of movies today, including Mary Poppins, Oliver, and particularly the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Hope you enjoy! Five days after the new general election is being called, and uh, I'm, I'm glad, glad to see <laughs> Gareth Joyner is not going to be voting Theresa May. I'm not voting Theresa May. It would have <laughs> cast a, a, a very big shadow over this podcast because I hate women. Yeah, that's yeah. Right, yeah. <laughs> this podcast is already becoming quite a luxury podcast because we're recording this in the reception of a premier inn. We are. Where Gareth's been staying. I've been staying. I'm on tour. <laughs> I like the idea that maybe you live in a premier inn, like the major <laughs> in Forty Towers. No. As a little kid, what was your favourite film? Um, I had a couple. Mm. I was thinking about this this morning. So I um, we, we had a video player. And we um we used to rent right, films. Show yeah. <laughs> we used to we used to rent films from the library every week. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was I would always rent Mary Poppins. But then oh. I was thinking, like, we're probably the first generation of kids that were raised on videos. Yes. Yeah, that's probably very true because I don't know, I think I got a video player it would be the late eighties. Mm. I, I I was super young but I do remember it arriving. But yeah, you think of a kid in nineteen eighty yeah. A VCR was probably thousands of pounds. Like I don't know, but they were probably the, but really we were, expensive. We were probably the first generation of people that would have favourite films of children that yes. would watch again and again and again and again Absolutely, and again. Absolutely, yeah. We wouldn't just be someone who saw something at the cinema. Wizard of Oz once a year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so, yeah, probably Mary Poppins and Oliver. Oh, it was Matt for Oliver. Oh, me too. Yeah. 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 That, that was you first. were in it, weren't you? Well, yeah, that, that, 2000, amateur production. <laughs> Um, Gareth, amateur is a state of mind. Dinnerton <laughs> <laughs> um, Operatic Society. Mm. Um, so yeah, I loved, but Oliver was my first musical that I ever saw, mm. and um, and then I was mad on Oliver. So and it was the first musical I ever saw on stage as well at the Palladium. Oh really? Mm. With Jonathan Price? I don't know who was playing Fagin by the time I saw it. It wasn't okay. Jonathan Price. All right. Yeah, maybe that was a little bit later. Yeah. Than Jonathan Price. Jonathan Price was ninety-two. He opened it. Ah, oh, maybe it was earlier and I then. Saw, no, I saw it in 90, like 95. Maybe it was Russ Abbott. It might have been Russ Abbott. I can tell you a fun secret. My boss's dog was the dog. So you watched Oliver a lot as a kid. I did as well. I, I wore out a recording we had of it. And the very, <laughs> this is fun, the very beginning 30 seconds of the tape weren't Oliver. It was just some adverts. And like I've got like the tune of these adverts in my head. And one of the um, adverts was for... Um, What's it called? Mr. Frosty. Mr. Frosty is such fun. He makes drinks for everyone, yeah. that one. Have you ever used Mr. Frosty? No, I haven't. Well, let me tell you, it's a disappointment. I also had um, I also had recording, speaking of adverts on tapes, I mm. had Pinocchio, must have been, I think it was Christmas 1989, and right. on the same tape I had um, Pinocchio, the snowman, with the David Bowie introduction. Oh, yeah. And, and, and Wallace and Gromit's Grand Day Out. Well, and Grand Day Out was as early as that. Yeah, and if I watch the, um, if I watch any of those films now, I, I know exactly where the adverts were. Ah, uh, interesting. You know where they put the brakes. Not that interesting. I think that's interesting. All right, okay. I don't really know. Oh, no. <laughs> what a disappointing guest. Yeah, there. and thank you so much for joining me, Gareth. <laughs> When you uh, were a little bit older, I know that you discovered a film which is going to be our major topic of discussion of this podcast. How old were you when you saw... The Rocky Horror Horror Picture Picture Show. Show. Science fiction double feature. Yeah, I was 12 years old and it was on the BBC Mm -hmm. and um, it was, it was, they had a, they had a series in like the late 90s that was called I Love the 
and then a decade. Right, and they do 91, 92. Yeah, and they do, and they and so they and so they did. I love the eighties. I love the sixties, and it was I love the Mm seventies. And this one day it was I love nineteen seventy three. And what they did was there was a program with lots of talking heads, people talking about the seventies. Yeah. And then at the end of it, they'd show a film from that year. No, no, seventy five. Rocky Horror was seventy five. Fact check, fact check, fact check. (laughs) So. yeah, the show was 1973 at the Royal yes. Court Theatre upstairs. Yes, I'm of throwing course. extra facts in here to compensate for all the <laughs> Don't worry, I'm not judging. Uh, I think it's amazing that they made this film, which and the film is how most people see Rocky Horror now. Yeah. Um, and they used mostly the original cast from a relatively well, small-scale production. Well, they had two options. They had two oh, options. Really? So, so 20th Century Fox said to them, you can either have a redonkulously stupid budget, mm. but you've got a cast Mick Jagger in it, and you've got to have stars, okay. and got to, or we'll give you a couple of thousand, mm-hmm. and you make it with the people that were in it. And they're so cardboard cut out of a house that lifts yeah. up, and you see the real house behind <laughs> so it. That's, I mean, no, no one in Rocky Horror was famous when it was made. No. I mean, now there's lots of, I mean, um, you know, Barry um, Boswick, Susan Sarandon, mm. Beat Loaf. He played Eddie and Dr. Scott because mm. in the stage show, Dr. Scott and Eddie are always doubled up. Yes, it's one of the things I really don't particularly like about the film that they they double cast it and decide that uh, Dr. Scott is going to have a German accent. Yeah, well, Richard <laughs> O'Brien hates that because. Um, mm. Doctor Scott is supposed to be a Nazi war criminal that's living undercover. Yeah. And there's a line so where. So why would he be going? Hello, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> uh, th- th- there's a line where Tim Curry says, um, uh, "What? Um, go on, Doctor Scott, or should I say, Doctor Von Scott?" Yeah, and everyone goes, "Oh my God!" Like, yeah, well, he and has Bar- German Boss, Brad goes very indignantly, "Just what exactly are you implying?" <laughs> and that's usually in the stage show. That's where his accent splits, and you go, "That's mm. all I bled." But um, mm-hmm. anyway. Yes, I know Richard totally O'Brien hates that. Yeah. yeah. He hated that creative decision. Yeah, so I was 12 years old when I saw the Rocky Horror Show for the yeah. first time, and it like uh, it was like, like life-changing. I'm, I'm pretty sure that I probably recorded the same version of the TV, because I was 14, oh, yeah. I'm a couple of years older than you, and it like it's not like it would have been shown a couple of months later, so I probably recorded the exact same I was certainly version. aware of Rocky Horror before I saw the film, because yeah. I remember um, parents talking about going to see it in Wimbledon with my mm-hmm. aunt, who lived in Wallington, near uh, Wimbledon, okay. and I remember seeing like the pictures of it, and when I saw it, I remember thinking to myself, oh, you're finally watching it. So like, uh, it, was, okay. it had made my per- peripheral, peripheral, is that the word? Yeah. Vision, yeah. yeah. And, um, uh, so and I saw it when I was twelve, and it's it's funny because as a film, it's it's developed with me. So yeah. my relationship to it has changed. So when I first saw it, I just liked the songs and the colours, mm. and probably like that there was aliens in it. And, oh, spoiler alert! <laughs> uh, um, you know, so things like that. Well, it's good. It speeds along, and it, the songs are great. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. And then of course there was sort of like. Um, it was probably tapping into, you know, the whole sort of, like, LGBT thing, mm, you know, because mm-hmm. lots of, like, like, it's a film that, like, I'm, I'm doing this in quotation marks on mm-hmm. my fingers, it's a film that outsiders tend to like, Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, it's a reason why it became a cult classic. Because yeah, yeah, because all the weirdos and the gays. You will find uh, it together. Yeah, yeah, mm. like, uh, like David Bowie with Ziggy Stardust mm, and things like course, that, yeah, so which was similar huge, time. Yeah, and uh, you're a huge fan of Bowie. Yeah, yeah. I and, but that's what I mean by it developed with me, so I saw mm. it, and then, and then like, a few years later, when I was about 18, maybe, I started to get really into David Bowie mm-hmm. and that whole sort of, like, scene that was happening at the time, so... Yeah. Um, you know, all, all that sort of like um, late 60s, early 70s mm, crossovers. Mm-hmm. And you find people cropping up in each other's work. So the guy, um, the guy, um, oh, Pierre Laroche. Pierre Laroche did mm-hmm. the makeup for Rocky Horror, um, the film, but he also did the makeup for the cover of um, David Bowie's Pinups. Okay, which is, well, right. he did all of Bowie's makeup, mm-hmm. um, but he did the pinups is uh, where Bowie and Twiggy have the masks, and they're the same as the it. masks that they have in the floor show at Rocky Horror. Okay. So it's like it's, it's like a grow up thing. And then when I got to my mid twenties, I got really into Hammer Horror. Right. And so, so then you see all the influences. Yeah, on Rocky and you see Horror. the crossover. Yeah. So I mean, I think Curse of Frankenstein with Peter Cushing and um, Christopher Lee. Mm. Um, they've got the same tank that Rocky's made in. In which I Frankenstein the monsters made right. it, and it was filmed at Bray Studios and mm-hmm. Oakley Court. Right. But Bray Studios is where they filmed all the Hammer films, and um, and I went and visited there one day. And like, what's had a it walk like out. there now? Because it was uh, it wasn't in 
great uh, a great state when they recorded Rocky Horror. Though, no, the House it? Oakley Court apparently was shit on. Yeah, it was like dilapidated. They'd, they'd taken all the lead out of the roof, oh, and God, uh, so, it leaked so and... everything leaked inside. Mm. And it, you know, it was um, a real dilapidated state. Right. And now it's a, a luxury hotel. Oh really? Okay. Does it so, have Rocky Horror themed events? It does. Oh yeah, yeah. The fan club go there once. Okay. A year. I've never really been. I used to, so when I was like. I think between from the ages of like fifteen to nineteen, I used to really go for it. Mm, I used to mm. like dress up in all the fishnets and the heels and everything yeah. like that. And then I got to twenty one and like my what happened and like I just stopped taking pleasure in it. Right. <laughs> it's like yes, it felt like work. Yeah, it was like busman's holiday. So um Is that when you started to do Myra, twenty one? Twenty one, yeah. Uh, twenty one I was. Twenty one twenty one years old. <laughs> That's so, a, a reference guys, to someone else's material. Yeah. <laughs> also, guys, Gareth has an accidental character who comes out sometimes called Dad Gareth. <laughs> for people think that because I've, I've lived with Gareth for the for the last Edinburgh and, and and I'm going to this summer as well, and people think, wow, you live with Gareth Joyner. I bet it's party, party, party. And one day I got back, and I think it was only just midnight. And <laughs> Gareth, was like, oh hi, Gareth. Just sitting in the lounge in his pyjamas and his dressing gown and his slippers, going, bloody kids next door having a party. Can't they were, though. <laughs> I was kicking off, like, incandescent with rage. Don't know where to go around there, call police. <laughs> That's what I said, that was a, a genuine <laughs> Gareth quote, just past midnight. Party, party, party. And then and then the party still calmed down about one o'clock, and you were like, well, off to bed then. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's a luxury hotel now, and... Um, <laughs> Um, I visited it, and it's it's not it's it's nice that it's still you know it's nice to walk around it and still see mm. you see the banister that Magenta slides down. And oh, there's, amazing! There's, there's so a, they've kept it intact. Yeah, there's a clock where the clock is in the film. It's not the same yeah. clock, not the clock with the skeleton in it. But, um, mm. There's a clock there. You sort of walk around and you know. Oh, like you get yeah. 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 I had this, a similar thing where I went to purely because there was a family holiday there just after I'd seen With Nail and I, um, and we went to Penrith where they spend much of the film, and I went in a pub where they go in the film. I was walking around like, oh my God, back in 1969 when this film was filmed in 1987, this is where Withnell and I sat, fictional characters. So that was cool. I've never seen Withnell and I. Oh, you must. I know. Well, I think I I saw it. I see what happened was, um, Mm. uh, like a friend of mine was so into it and would quote it all the time. And I just got a bit weary. Yeah, I had that. Um, uh, That's what I've had with uh, Game of Thrones. I've never watched that either. I had it with Game of Thrones, and I watched the first two series, and I didn't really like it, but, like, it was all right, but I didn't love it enough to carry on watching it. But in the four years since I watched those first two series, I've decided that I fucking hate it, <laughs> because everyone talks about how much they love it. So now I hate Game of Thrones. But it just sounds like such a... I've never seen it, so... But it just sounds like such a crap made-up thing. Like, <laughs> Like people have just picked two right Game of Thrones. Like, Game of Thrones, a song of fire and ice. Yeah, yeah. what? I, yeah. No, it, it strikes me as that it feels like a natural progression from Warhammer, and I was having none of that either. So. <laughs> it's a bit like Warhammer. Yeah. And also, a lot of people, um, a lot of women get punished in it by being sexually humiliated. Oh. And then you, I'm watching, I'm like, oh, that's two people in just But that is exactly the sort of people it appeals to, though. Yes. Sad, sad fucks sat in their parents' <laughs> spare bedrooms in Iron Maiden. T-shirt. <laughs> Watching Game of Thrones, playing Warhammer, going, yeah, punish the sluts. Yeah. No, it's not, uh, no, not like us watching Rocky Horror. Yeah, in fishnets drinking Malibu. <laughs> <laughs> when, oh. Right, the first time I went to see Rocky Horror Live, I was 14, and it was quite a scary thing to do for me. I did think it was going to be a little bit like a sex party. Um, <laughs> which, as a 14-year-old, I walked in and I was like, oh my God, there's a woman in just her pants and a top. Um, and I wore pyjamas and uh, Mickey Mouse's so I could be Columbia. And then the second time I went, I went, I'm going to dress as proper Columbia. And I found a silver boob tube that wouldn't stay up because it didn't have any boobs. And I had um, a white box jacket from the 80s I sewed on tails to it I've got no talent for sewing so it looked like shit sprayed it gold with poster paint and wore like little hot pads and fishnets which I put holes in and I really I went all out I had blue socks and tap shoes yeah. I really and I oh god and it, it was so worth it because the first thing that someone said when I walked into 
Croydon Fairfield Halls was, hey, awesome costume. But that's, <laughs> oh it's, it's like, it's Rocky Horror is often people's, like, first experience of feeling quite powerful. You yeah. Know? And, like, that's what I like. When I go, I mean, I don't, I don't dress up to watch it anymore, and I don't mm-hmm. really join in with it anymore. I used oh, to do really? all the shout backs and everything. The last time I saw it was about six years ago, because a friend was in it, yeah. um, and it didn't feel quite the same. No, and uh, so I so I tend to go earlier in the week, so I'll go and see it on a Monday and Tuesday, mm. and I'll sort of enjoy the creative choices that production's made, and I'll go, yeah. oh, that, I like that design, I like this, that, mm-hmm. you know, you look, watch it with a different eye. But I do I do like seeing people going to Rocky Horror. So, yeah. like, if, I, if Rocky Horror's yeah. in town, I always like looking at the weather spoons before we show up. <laughs> like, you see all these people parading around, and you know yeah. that they've all got, you know, awful office jobs. And yes, they're, 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 they're really living for that, yeah. And, well, um, there's people who go to every day on the tour, and yeah. they, they live for Well, it. I used to, I mean, the 2006 tour with David mm. Bedella, I even, I've got a programme somewhere that I've made everyone sign. I've oh, staged really? all of them and everything, oh. yeah. David um, Bedella was a great Frank. He was an excellent Frank. He's so like good. three foot tall as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. So great. Mm. Um, he does what I like, which is he plays, because that's who I saw do it in 2010. Um, I love the fact that he plays I'm Going Home Dead Straight. Well, he played the whole thing just because I think, um, so I thought, what was, um, not Freddie Mercury, Robbie Williams. Right, <laughs> 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 at the end of the podcast. <laughs> What, um, no, what, what was Robbie Williams' name? Jonathan Wilkes, who yeah. I, I saw him He as was well. terrible. Yeah, he was shit. Because he, he camped it up and yeah. like he played it like a panto dame. Mm. And, you know, Frank is, uh, like, the, the, uh, all the camp to Frank is is written in that he's a transvestite. Mm. Nothing else. He's, he's based on these um, counts and things mm. like that that you get in the Hammer films that are, like, very charismatic and yes. very masculine. And if you if you if you play the masculine of Frank, the camp takes care of itself. Yes. And that, and that's exactly what Dave Cadella did. And I think yeah. you should always I think a good Frank should be you should fancy Frank. Because, oh my god, uh, yes. Well, well I remember watching at fourteen, you know, like burgeoning sexuality, no boobs. <laughs> Frank comes down in the lift and when he does sweet transvestite, it wasn't I watched it, I was like, Oh yeah, I'd yeah. love to get off with him. But I watched it, I was like, Oh, I don't I'm feeling like that's quite sexy, and, and I, I don't so. know well, why. Well, if you think like Frank seduces everyone in the show, yeah, and and, and that that he has to be incre- incredibly charismatic, yeah, and, and you know that's where you can start reading into Rocky Horror and what it means because there's mm. the bit at the end where um, spoiler alert, <laughs> Frank gets killed, yeah, and um and Brad and, jo- and Brad goes, you killed him, and um. Doctor Scott says yeah. society must be protected. You know what I mean, yes. and it's that real kind of. Um, Richard O'Brien often trots out the, um, the the simile or metaphor that it's the retelling of the Garden of Eden. That's and, interesting, uh, yeah, and right? Brad and Janet are Adam and Eve, mm-hmm. and uh, Frank is the serpent, ah. and he'll leave it to your imagination as to what the fruit is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's very. <laughs> but good. I mean, that, and that's the line in the show as well. Uh, the narrator says Brad and Janet both tasted forbidden fruit. Forbidden fruit, yeah. And the audience usually like to shout out Brad and Janet both tasted Frank's Frank's cock. cock. <laughs> <laughs> Which is literally just explaining the metaphor. Yeah. By the way, something I uh, downloaded and yeah. printed off when I was 14, when I went to see it live for the first time, there's like a script with mm. all the ad libs in it, and some of them are like really rubbish. Yeah, they? some of them are terrible. But, but I, this is why I don't do it anymore because you go and listen, and people deliver it with such a weariness. Like, yeah, um, like, awesome. yeah, yeah, like that. You're yeah. really like, nah, nah, nah. <laughs> you know, I like the ones that make like, the, I was telling Susie the other day, there was one I really liked, which, uh, where they go, it looks like some kind of hunting lodge for rich weirdos. And someone in the castle went, in the audience went, Windsor Castle. And <laughs> yeah. I thought that was, that was super. You wonder who's the first person who came up with that. Yeah. And, and like, uh, <laughs> so there's it's all grown a, organically. It's a whole thing of it, its own, isn't it, Rocky Horror? And I think, um, I think because it's become this, this idea like it's become sort of a hen night to outsiders. To they might forget that actually it's a fucking good film. Yeah, I've, I've really met some people film. that look down on Rocky Horror in the way that they see. Because I mean, you know, the, as much as it's self empowering, the, the mm. costumes are never grey. I, I mean, mm. I'm talking about the audience. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And it is a bit hen night, hen party. You get people do go for hen nights and the mm. poppers. And I look at it with it. I look at those people with affection because I remember yeah, when you know I, I was that age. I was discovering myself. Blah blah mm-hmm. blah. But um, but it, if you if you strip all of that away and watch the film uh, like without the audience, it, it's very 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 good film and it's a very good story and mm. and you know that's why I like 
go and see, see a live earlier in the week where people don't chime in. Right, when it, when it's the real I mean, there's more, there's more bodies at the end of Rocky Horror than Hamlet, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's like, the stage is littered with dead people. Yeah. <laughs> and there's, there's things in it as well, like Columbia sacrifices herself for Frank, and then you think about yeah. that relation. And it's it's so complex and layered, yes. and you can play it in certain ways. Yeah. And I've seen it I've seen it played as well, where the implication is that Riff Raff made the rock, not Rocky, and oh, that Frank okay. took the credit for the work, and that's why he kills him. And oh, that's like interesting, that. and can, yeah. But that, it's sort of, in a way, I, I'm, I'm, fuck it, I'm going to say it. It's like mm. Shakespeare, because like if, mm-hmm. if something's well-written enough, you can play it any way you want yes you know this is obviously going to be a feature of this podcast I'd said how Tim Curry tends to be the best thing in about any film he's in in Rocky Horror Show he's he, he's got a, a film to live up to what he's capable of but he avoided talking about it for years and really years really because years. he felt it had such a stigma and I don't think people they, associated him I think he just got sick of the fans uh, because okay. they are so rampant and yeah. they come up to him and um, as recent as um, Spamalot when he was mm-hmm. in Spamalot in uh, the West End he yeah. um, I know a friend of mine took up a picture of Frank for him to sign and mm. went, sorry, I know you don't. And he just signed it and went, it is what it is, or something oh, like that. Okay. So right, it sort yeah. of starts with that bit. He just did yeah. the um, the remake, didn't he? Um, was he the narrator? He was the narrator. I didn't yeah. watch it. You liked it, didn't you? No, right. I I, I mean, if, if we're going to assess it as a film, mm. it wasn't great. Like right. the design was off, mm-hmm. the, um, the it had too much budget thrown at it. Part right. of Rocky Horror's charm is that it was done on a shoestring. Yes, you know, and um, and it's got its very own and, look. You know, and, and and it was a creative product of its time, which is why yeah. I think the film is perfect Rocky Horror. I've just remembered the thing I was going to say. I'm going to put a pin <laughs> in it and come back to it. It's okay. got a pin in it now. It's got a pin in it. <laughs> So the design and everything on the film was perfect mm. uh, because it was. Uh, I'll start saying it now. It was a product of its time. Yeah. So so everyone everyone there that is the creatively involved, the musicians, mm. but like the sound has a certain quality yes. to it, and um, like the, the the whining guitars and everything, and mm. the saxophone and the piano. Mm-hmm. And this is the same thing that you hear in Bowie's albums. Like if you listen to Aladdin Sane, the mm-hmm. Mike Garson piano on that is a lot like some of the piano that's in Rocky Horror, especially I'm Going Home, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so that that's. Uh, do you think that's Richard O'Brien influenced by Bowie? Or well, do Richard you think O'Brien, that's the time? when Richard O'Brien wrote the music, he literally wrote the chords on the guitar. It was uh, Richard Hartley that put it together. He, as he a arranged it, right? Yeah, so, so he did all the arrangements. Yeah. And yeah, Richard O'Brien. Just, the demo track is on YouTube, and it is well worth a listen. Mm. So if you, if you if there are any any listeners out there want to go and look up on YouTube, Rocky Horror a demo, demo track. It's it's excellent. It's because he some of the songs were written before. He turned yeah. into a show, Superheroes. Yeah, you're going to say what I think you're going to say. I don't know. About the go lyrics. On. No, go for it. So, so Superheroes um, is written about fascism. Mm, mm. Yeah. So the, right. um, uh, uh, so the lyrics, and all I know is, uh, and superheroes come to feast to taste the flesh not yet deceased, and all I know is still the beast is feeding, mm. was about um, fascism. And there's a great there's a great interview out there where Joe Bride's talking about that. And um, he's talking about how he wrote it at a time where it felt like fascism was on the rise, which mm. it feels like at the moment. God, if you yeah, think back, 45 it's, years, every 45 years, isn't every, it? Well, it's not just every 45, I think just always. It's, yeah. it's, it's all Wellian, isn't Peaks it? And troughs, every, everyone's yeah. always at war with someone, and you've got to keep it that way. Yeah, you know? yeah. But, um, and yeah, so it's such a product of its time, Rocky Horror, and it's become sort of. If you look at the scripts of Rocky Horror, the only thing in that the, there's no mention of fishnets, there's no mention of pearl necklaces or corsets or platform shoes right. or anything. It's become such its own thing that I'd, I'd love it if I if I got my how how I do <laughs> is. Um, I'd love to get Rocky Horror and do a production of it, just looking at the script and the source material and nothing else. And so, like, I'd have Frank in a beautiful gown or something like right, that. Because yeah. he's just a transvestite. That's the only thing Yes. In there. And it's, it's, I mean, there are people who would still go, oh, how shocking to see the big reveal of Tim Curry in yeah. the fishnets. But we, the we know but, it now. We see yeah. the cloak. We know what's under the cloak. Yes. And it happens when you see the stage show. And when people whoop now, when Frank throws his cloak off, it's not mm. because they're shocked. It's because they're seeing a familiar image. I mean, yeah. Sue Blaine, who designed the original production and the film costumes. Sue's to blame. Sue's to hey. <laughs> Sue Blaine. She, um, she still designs the tour. Oh, really? So, yeah, wow, and so, so Frank's... I think my favourite design on Frank has been Anthony Stewart Head off of Buffy. 
And he had a very sparkly corset, as far as I remember. I've only seen pictures of him. Yeah, no, but he went for more like of a Victorian prostitute. So he had um, ankle lace-up boots on and ripped fishnets, but he also like had um, like a really pathetic marabou boa. Right. Okay, so it's ratty. Yeah, and rather than the platform shoes. And and I I like that. Um, That, I like that as well, because it kind of... What I like about Rocky Horror is... It's got this weird thing where it's very much a product of its time, but it's also ageless. But like, I'm not keen hasn't on the aged fact at all. it hasn't. No, even no. though it very much looks like it was made in the 70s. This is where the remake fell up because the remake mm. is of its time. So, the, right. so this is what the point I was making about how the original was so perfect because they mm-hmm. were making music that was relevant to that time. Right. And then the remake, it just sounded like. Everyone says it sounds like Glee, but Glee is just the product of the time. If you listen to the pop charts, the overproduction is just very in vogue right now. Yes, yeah. So that's why it sounded like that, and it didn't quite gel for me. And I did it, there was little things like Frank had a rainbow flag in the thing, and Mm -hmm. and I get the point they're making, but like Frank isn't an LGBT advocate, right? He just wants to fuck people. Yeah. And so he. And he's completely unapologetic about who he is. He doesn't really give a shit about anyone else. He doesn't care about anyone else. Why would he be going, I just want the best thing to Yeah, he doesn't care about anyone else but himself Mm. and his own pleasures, and Mm -hmm. that's it. And so I thought that betrayed the character, and and that's the worst thing you can do, really. But I don't begrudge it existing. I, it was an enjoyable watch. I like the songs. I, I said I, this is the. People, it was made with love. People tend to get very uh, by Fox. Are you joking? <laughs> it was made <laughs> Did for, it not feel like it was made with love? No, it was made for profit. It was cash okay. in. It was a total cash in. It like people get very get up when someone remakes a film, but people don't get s up if someone puts a new production of a play on. So mm. sorry, I've spat on Susan. That's all right. So uh, <laughs> I've, I've got Gareth's powers now. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, people get heads up about oh yeah um, so if people do another production of a play but that feels like the same thing so just because someone's made another version of that film doesn't mean that the original goes away it's no, not like we talked about this last week as well it's that the anger around um, new Ghostbusters it doesn't erase your DVDs no, of the original you can, you can it's much more damaging if they made a Rocky Horror sequel well I know they made Shock Treatment the if they well, made like, a direct sequel that's more damaging to the original probably, yeah you're right yeah, even though it changes isn't, the the, the, the argument I mean if we're going to talk about Ghostbusters the argument yeah. there is the original Rocky Horror was so perfect and it's so timeless and it's mm. so wonderful the original Ghostbusters is dated and sexist yes <laughs> <laughs> so what it's, it's not this precious relic everybody no it's not we don't it's, need to it, worry too much it about just, it, or it you, you, you don't care about the film you care about your childhood yeah. that, is, that is the thing yeah I you think know. a lot of people had very sheltered childhoods because they were like my childhood's ruined I now. still enjoy listening I, was, I talked about this the other day in a, another interview I did with the press because I'm very important. <laughs> press! Press. Um, Readers. I, I, um, I, I know um, my, one of my guilty pleasures is church music because I, <laughs> I went to church as a kid. And I so, laughed a lot at that, sorry guys. And then I went to church as a child so yeah. I used to sing Go tell it on the mountain yeah. Over the hills and far away Did you shine Jesus shine? Shine Jesus shine Fill this land <laughs> I'd love to know what other people in this room think. But, um, it's a religious so, podcast. So just because I enjoy those songs, it doesn't mean I'm fucking gay for the church. You know I mean? It just it reminds me of my childhood. Yeah. That's, that's... And it's singing with gay abandon. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, so there's a remakes. I'm I'm all for them. Mm. Like like we've got we've got two versions of Gypsy and that's wonderful. Yeah. You know. And they keep threatening to make another one with Streisand. Oh, she's too old. No, she's not. She is. She's, she'll be great. She's she's like she'll 80. be <laughs> she'll be great. Gonna hit you in the face with a plate. What? Oh. <laughs> I'm gonna. I think we should pause here and make coffee. And get coffee. <laughs> we right. have refills and we've not used them yet. I'm gonna pause the recording. Okay. So my mum was asleep upstairs. And then we got. And then we started watching Judy Garland and started talking about how she was the Amy Winehouse of her generation. Most <laughs> <laughs> gay thing that's ever happened. Gay, gayest night in Hawley is me. <laughs> We do, we were, and then we were watching videos of Edie Gourmet saying, in another in another universe, she'd be as big as Judy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, dear. What a pair. What a funny pair. <laughs> I'm sure there's more we can say about Rocky Horror. Who directed Rocky Horror? Jim Sharman. And what else has let Jim me, Sharman directed? Let me, let, I will fact check that. Shall we fact we check do? that now? I think, no, you're, you're right. Um, I think but it's I Jim feel Sharman. like I'm not aware of his work. Did he also do shock treatment? I think Jim Sharman also. Oh, no, Brian Thompson designed it. Okay. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think it was the same creative team on shock treatment. We could talk about shock treatment if we you want. We should talk about the, shock uh, treatment because I think it's really underrated. And I'm massively underrated. It's uh, way ahead of its time. Absolutely. With the it's all saw the beginning of reality TV and it's, what, 1983? And also, and I think it's hilarious, isn't it? So uh, mental health is like a big theme in shock treatment. Mm. So um, Farley flavours this. Um, so the plot to shock treatment, for those that don't know, is that Brad and Janet from the Rocky Horror Show um, go and watch the recording of a television show called Marriage Maze and get drawn into it. And then they get sucked into this sort of like conspiracy network television that's owned by this conglomerate called Farley Flavors um, who has a fast food chain and he also he's packaging mental health to the nation mm. and it's this sinister thing about how mental health is being sold to people and Ruby Wax is in it and she, yeah, pla- she plays um, Betty Schaefer who was in the original and um, she was the one getting married at the beginning yeah, of the yeah. And um, Ruby Wax uh, is in it, and she's now touring a show about mental health. Mm. So it's all come it comes full circle. Yeah. Yes, I have a feeling that if shock treatments—that's something it could be remade today. It deserves and... a decent stage run. There was a yeah. production of it at the King's Theatre in Islington a couple of years ago, and it, it wasn't wasn't great. It was very enjoyable. It had Mark Little in it. Yeah, but, I like um, him. But they had to they had to cut the cast back, so Bert Schnick wasn't in it, which was okay. the character Barry Humphreys played, and of he course. was one of my favourites in it. That's weird that they cut the character. Yeah, it's fairly pivotal. I know it's not a huge role, but yeah, it's fair. But they, he was referenced to off stage, <laughs> you know. Right. Oh, Bert's in the back. <laughs> So, uh, <laughs> That'll do. <yeah. laughs> Astounding who's in uh, in it, and also if you look at the audience in Shot Train, because the whole thing is filmed in the television studio, because mm. there was a writers' strike at the time, so they had to move it all to one location. Right. Um, so um, yeah, uh, it, the shots of the audience. There's loads of Rocky Horror people in the audience. People uh, from the I stage see. show, um, oh. you know, Paddy O'Hagan, who originated the role of Eddie and Dr. Scott, is right. in the audience. As a, so it's kind of a thing that works on its own, but it is a sequel. Yeah. It's very much in that universe. Yeah, what did they, what, uh, Richard O'Brien said? It's not a sequel, it's not a prequel, it's an equal. I like that. Yes. Oh, isn't he good? He always, <laughs> there's a really good interview on uh, called like An Evening with Richard O'Brien or something. Right. Uh, something he did for a New Zealand television network. He lives in New Zealand. Okay. And um, they they interviewed him, and I watched it back, and I was just like, yeah, top bloke. Mm. I'd love to meet him. They yeah. say you shouldn't meet your heroes, but I think with Richard O'Brien, you wouldn't be disappointed. Yeah. I bet he's. Um, he went to see um, Rocky Horror one night when I went to see it, and he was in the row in front. Oh, we were in the what? second row, and he was in the front row. I've seen him. I've seen him at Rocky Horror many times. Um, right. I saw him. I saw him play the, nar- the narrator uh, uh, thing. It and I, oh, I cried. Yeah. <laughs> like, I cried there little boy is. tears. Well. This is big. This is very big for me. Leave me alone. I knew him first, of course, from the Crystal Maze. Yes. A show which he, a, a TV show which, had he not been a part of it, I don't think it would have been as big a hit. Anywhere. Because the Crystal Maze is fucking shit. Oh, what a, what a, what a unpopular opinion. <laughs> what I an don't unpopular care. opinion. Yeah, take, take that society. Oh. I, re- I really like the fact that it's, it's kind of rubbish. If you watch it back now, it's sort of YouTube. Um, if you watch back Crystal Maze, it's just people who have no business being on TV because they've got, they're all like, yes, we all work in sales, we are a team. And then they're really worried about people getting locked in. Doesn't matter. Like, and then Richard O'Brien really weaves magic because he makes you think that they're locked in there till the end of the yeah, show. Yeah, yeah. And then some like, runners taking them tea yeah, and biscuits. Come on, mate, come out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We've got to set up Aztec I love Mumsy, the character. Yeah, though, she... isn't it? Patricia Quinn. No, I don't oh, think it was. Right. Oh, I, I, I might have made that up. Yeah. But um, it's Maureen Lipman in the new one. Is he really? Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. I need to watch the new one, but I don't think it'll be the same because it won't be Richard O'Brien. I, again, it's like we were saying about um, church music and ghosts with Ghostbusters. Mm-hmm. It was, it's only special because it was childhood. Yeah. 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 And it's, uh, that takes us full circle as well because Richard O'Brien was replaced on the Crystal Maze with Ed Tudor Pole, who, who at one time. Did he? Yeah, oh, he played Riff Raff in the 1991 Piccadilly Revival. Amazing. Well, I, well, I was going to say he was uh, the original choice for Withnail. Oh, my fact's well better than yours. <laughs> <laughs> he turned it down and so did Daniel Day Lewis. Really? And it went to Richard E. Grant, who was completely unknown, he'd never done a film. And uh, it's made his entire career. My uh, my friend walked past Richard E. Grant in Debenhams in Richmond. Really? Yeah. And, Is that and the end of the story? <laughs> no. 
<laughs> and he, he saw him and he did that thing where you see a famous person yeah. and you think you know them. So he said hello mm-hmm. and Richard E. Grant just went hello back. And then when he walked past, Richard E. Grant turned to his friend and went, probably some extra. <laughs> <laughs> my, my friend of mine, uh, Nigel, has worked as a... Oh, I probably shouldn't say his name. His name's Bigel. Um No, it's fine. He has worked as uh, like a, a stage manager on various things. And he went for dinner, and he's the other thing about him is he's got that thing where you don't recognise faces, but really poor facial recognition. I like I, when I have worked for him, and when I go into the office, he looks at me like like really suspicious. But it does he it's know because, he's got it, or does he? Yeah, he does. <laughs> but I have to go. It's me, Suze. Um, so yeah, he, he doesn't reckon. He just doesn't recognise faces. He just doesn't. Do, he just does it with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really weird. Yeah, I don't, I've, I've I've decided that that's what his thing is. <laughs> he went for. Um, dinner with some we went to dinner with some theatre people and they had friends with them and he was sat next to someone who he was like I, I know that voice I just don't know the face and they know that they're famous and I'm, I, I don't want to say I'm sorry who are you and he didn't know who they were and then as dinner went on they were telling stories and he said yes I worked with Maggie Smith and I didn't find her very nice and then later on I found out that behind my back she referred to me as Richard E. Cunt. Maggie Smith is a burning witch. <laughs> D- disclaimer: She's... that might not have happened libelous. I don't know. Um, I'm sure that's fine. Yeah, I really like Maggie Smith. There's a great story great. about a, the, you know the bra story. Kenneth Williams always used to tell it. No. She was shopping for a bra in a department store, and someone said, "Oh, it's seven guineas," and she went, seven guineas for a bra? It's cheap to have your tit off." <laughs> Maggie Smith. Maggie Smith. I really like that the bra is seven guineas in that story mm. as well. It's, it's, it's pleasing that it's it in old it money. Because like, yeah. even though we had guineas up until what the sixties, something like that, it makes like... it sound like it took place in eighteen twenty. <laughs> seven only seven guineas. That's all they're about. Oliver. Hey, <laughs> I've only got five films that I can reference because I've now referenced Ghostbusters with Nell and I and and Tim Curry stuff. In both of my recordings. Tim Curry's got an excellent back catalogue of work, mm. though. Well, no, all his work is excellent. But it's Even me- the shit films, he's great. Yeah, like, what shit, like, like what? What shit films is he great in? Like, there's a film. The Worst Witch, that wasn't a great film. The Worst Witch, where he comes out of the sky um, and he's got a coat with very bad green screen and he opens the coat. He's like, whoa, it's a crow on my coat. But he's sexy in it. Oh. And in The Worst Witch, he was, like, to have something sexy in it, that's weird. He was the uh, original choice for the vo- voice of the Joker in Batman the Animated Series. That's amazing! Yeah, he oh, would have been, been brilliant, Joker. even though I love Mark oh, Hamill. Mark, Mark Hamill did a great job, yeah. He's he brilliant. continues to do a great job. I don't know if he'll yeah. play Joker again. He did him in The Killing Joke. Oh, did he? Yeah. In the, the animated one that was out yeah. last year. Fun, fun fact for your listeners, I'm also <laughs> a huge Batman fan, if we're talking films. Oh, yeah. Well, comics in general. Not comics in general, no. Oh, okay. Just Batman suits. Sorry. Don't correct me. <laughs> You love comics. I don't love comics. Oh, I only read Batman. Batman. I only read Batman comics. Why? Why just Batman? Um, again, we can we can probably link it to a childhood thing. Like I was, right. so I was born in eighty seven. Yeah. The um, Michael Keaton Batman came out in eighty nine. Mm. So like, do you remember watching it as a two year old? <laughs> yeah, I do. Remember. No, but um, and then the the sequel Batman Returns was ninety two, which I mm-hmm. certainly remember. And right. I had the video game on the Master System. Ah. I had the toys. I had you know. So like, it was it was Batman was the superhero that was pushed upon little boys. And my, like, yeah, lo- lots yeah. Of, lots the toys of... must have been everywhere. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, people don't um, yeah. because uh, the new films. Um, because the new Batman franchise is so dark, people forget that the the early nineties, no, the eighty nine one was really dark when it came out. It was dark it was for Batman because the only dark. Batman before that had been Adam West. Yes. So we'd have yeah. really campy Batman, and that was as dark as it got. I feel like a lot of people don't realise that's meant to be silly. Yeah. Some people think they're like, oh, look at this stupid film. I'm like, it is meant to be silly. It's, oh, it's, I, a, I love that. There's Batman. a bit in the original Batman film which I used to have on DVD. Um, there's a bit where there's a fight going on on a boat and Catwoman doesn't do anything in it apart from at one point she just arrives and just throws a cat in. <laughs> <laughs> I like the bit where Batman's running around the pier trying to get rid of a bomb and he's trying to throw it somewhere and there's like children playing and a family of ducklings <laughs> and Batman just goes, some days you just can't get rid of a bomb. <laughs> I didn't the Lego Batman film was great fun. In, yeah, in I didn't there. see, I haven't oh, seen it yet. So I've good. seen the original Lego movie. Because but... um, it, it's got all the references into it and, mm. and it references the Michael Keaton Batman 
Batman, the Christian Bale Batman. Mm. The, it's, it's a real love letter to Batman fans. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. I should watch it. And I keep getting told, oh, it is great. The original, like, did you see the Lego movie? Yeah. That was also great. Yeah, yeah. I, think I don't know the, who the creative team are there, but they're very funny. I love uh, Will Arnett as Batman. I think he's got the perfect voice for Batman. <laughs> yeah, he has, yeah, he's great. Yeah. Joker was good in that as well. I can never see his Joker? name. Zach Galifianakis. Galifianakis. Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> I said it so far. Galifianakis. Oh. Any American listeners will be like, what? She said it too fast. I couldn't understand her. <laughs> uh, just so you know, again, that wasn't a real... What? Zach, Zach Galifianakis. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> Susie's going to lift a regret revealing that she can do that. <laughs> <laughs> the next time I perform with Gareth on stage, it's the only chance I get to perform. Hey. Is when Gareth goes, come on then, <laughs> sing one of your little songs. We'll all Kedner out. <laughs> Do Define Gravity, give them Go a look. Susan and I just started looking at a reflection of ourselves like two distracted pushes. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> Sue started barking at herself, it's really awkward. <laughs> <laughs> Oh god, it was touch and go whether I was going to do a spit take with that team. <laughs> I've got a friend, and it's his ultimate fantasy to one day do a production of anything where he has to do a spit take. <laughs> yeah, it's just his big dream. He really wants to do that in a show. <laughs> so, Gareth, have you seen any films lately that you would care to comment on? Oh, what was the last? What, do you know what? I haven't. I've, I've not been to the cinema for ages. For, because I've been a, an unhealthy mixture of both poor and very busy. Oh, yeah, you've so been I've, working I've a lot. Gareth's um, on tour, guys. on tour, guys. Guys, you caught me. Susan's managed to catch five precious minutes <laughs> in, in my busy schedule as I, as I scour the UK at literally nine dates. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I feel like I'm sitting here with the Beatles. Yeah. So, um, so you haven't been to the cinema much. So no, I think the last thing I saw was Beauty and the Beast, but everyone's oh, yeah. talking about that at the moment. You I'm can talk about it. it. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Oh, good for you. Oh, <laughs> I, no, I liked it because it was like, it, it was a bit like, this is what I said, it was like seeing some old friends yeah. and they've changed and so have you. Oh, it's That's, like the Pulp song, Let's All Meet Up in the Year It's a little bit, yeah. <laughs> so like, I was, um, so I watched it and I was really like, you know, moved because the characters were familiar but yeah. different. I liked the creative choices they made. I don't mm-hmm. think Emma Watson was the best singer in the world. No. No, good, good. <laughs> Susie's pulling a face. I was just checking as to whether, because some people yeah. think she did a great job, but it's just the production of it just sounded too, I, I noticed it. You shouldn't notice production. No, you shouldn't. And they've got a really great voice cast. You've got Josh Gad, mm. Dan Stevens, Luke Evans, she's a, all she's, great singers. Exactly. And she pales. And now, I, I wonder if, because at the moment it's very taboo in Hollywood to use ghost singers, isn't yes. it? Yes. Very taboo to use ghost yeah. singers. So now the, the, the real thing is like, oh, they do their own singing. Mm. So you get like Emma Watson and Piers Brosnan buttering songs. <laughs> so what's what's worse? You know, I mean, yeah. just use ghost singers, but credit them. I think they could have used her actual voice or, or, and found and did what they did with, um, no, I can't remember her name. La la la, I definitely cut this. Oh, I can't remember. Ba, it's ba, another ba, Emma. Ba, 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 da, 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 uh, Emma Stone. Emma Stone. I'll cut. It's like what they did. <laughs> It's like with Emma Stone, um, who is much better singer than Emma Watson, uh, and also understands musical theatre, which is telling the story through song. She, you can tell she's not a perfect singer, but we find the beauty in the imperfection with her singing. So it's lovely in um, La La Land, whatever she's singing, because it's perfect for the character. It would have been very distracting to have them, her be like, it's you, the ones that dream. (laughs) That's if Patti LuPone played What's what Susie saying there is it would be would be very distracting if she sang it perfect like <laughs> I can. <No. laughs> that was beautiful what I just did. No, it would no, but it would have been super distracting to have like old Hollywood style singing yeah. in that film, which is very much contemporary film. And I think she sounds lovely. Um, Emma Watson, they've just auto-tuned it for no reason. And it's, it's because I'm great. sure they Con- could have done Controversial opinion alert. Controversial uh-oh, opinion uh-oh. alert. Uh oh, uh oh. Here it comes. Brace yourself. If what you're drinking you anything, put it down. <laughs> spit take sit time. down, sit down, sit down. Mm. You're rocking the boat. I don't think Emma Watson is a very good actress. <gasps> oh, oh. I'm going to get right in close to the mic oh. for this. End of podcast. <laughs> <laughs> she, because I, I think I think those three Harry Potter cunts have really looked out. <laughs> <laughs> they, no, they have though. None of them can act. Um, I, I disagree. Chil- children, well, whatever. They, they, <laughs> children, chil- children can't act. I've never seen a child that can act. If you see, what a ch- about in ET? Henry Thomas in ET. It's a puppet. They, yes. When they, 
when when you get a child that can act, it's still child acting. There's always a, a bit, and the ones in Harry Potter were terrible actors, and they're still oh. terrible actors because they were given a career too early, and no one's ever turned around to them and gone, right, Nate, now now learn it. You know, <laughs> Rupert Grint, Daniel Radcliffe, and Ever Watson can't act. And I think you see them really grow as actors during the series. No. No, and Emma. Watson somebody just this somebody just walked in, looked at us, and walked out again. <laughs> what Emma Watson does, and I don't know if I can convey this over the podcast. She's got this okay. thing that she does where she just goes a lot like that. <laughs> so she, that she, won't convey to the podcast. She, she smiles and breathes through her nose. She goes <sighs> like that. That's her tick. You feel? Yeah, and it okay. does my head in. Um, I think she's uh, limited. I think she's a wonderful person, and she's got a great she's got a great persona, and I think that's why she's quite famous because she's she's doing well. I think she's a fabulous person, yeah. Yeah. Um, I I think she is very good in the right role for her. Same as Richard Grant, to be honest. There's some roles where it's like, why have you cast him as this? Maybe not because he can't act, just because it's like that's weird. It's Richard Grant. I think with Emma Watson. Um, but because I do think Emma, so credit where it's due in mm. Beauty and the Beast, she had a lot of say over the creative direction of Belle, and I don't think she put right. a foot wrong in that. Right, I, I think right. Belle was great in, yeah. in that. She was. I, I think she is a little too. Her performances, she's at her best where she's quite uptight and repressed and I think in Perks of Being a Wallflower that was I didn't perfect. Say, I've never seen that so admittedly yeah, the opinion I've just expressed is based on seven Harry Potter films <laughs> <and Beauty Beast. laughs> No it's fair enough but I, I feel like for Belle it needed someone more like not not her but more mm. like an Anna Kendrick type I do see the, the, the direct Belle is not a Disney princess in the <laughs> traditional sense No they're not, not this is, we're, we're in a tricky not a tricky period there's, mm. there's a lot of See, I'm very traditional with fairy stories. Right. I like them as they, they're, they're thousands of years old, some of these yeah. fairy stories, and you've got to honour them. And, like, you, you, I feel that Hollywood's been too revisionary. I do not want to see Snow White clad in armour wielding a sword on a battlefield. Okay, that's, right. not, that's not right. Snow White. Which film is that? Snow White and the Huntsman. Oh, I haven't seen it. Yeah, right. so uh, interesting. Okay. So you know, so I think sometimes you can go too revisionary. So, but right. they, they, so she was, she was still a girl in a town, and she lived with the restrictions that the time placed on her, mm. and she dealt with them well, and it was expressed well, and okay. she, she was a very fully rounded character that sat well in her environment. Okay. You know what I mean? But yeah. by the same token, I didn't like Maleficent for that reason because Maleficent. See, I, I didn't. I think Maleficent is massively flawed as a film, but I, I didn't. I didn't hate what they did with it. I thought they, it was interesting how they flipped it. it, oh, it, it perhaps, you we went I, into the... I'm just a little tired of that Gregory Maguire treatment, you know. Okay. The, the, it, it's, I just like to see old-fashioned fairy stories told well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and that's the thing. And that's what I thought Beauty and the Beast did very well. It told the old-fashioned fairy story. But um, it, she was... Girl... Girl... Um, girl at protagonists in fairy stories can sometimes be very flat and two-dimensional. Yeah, yeah. And that, that wasn't the case. No, they did, and, and, and that is honouring what was originally done with Belle. Yeah. Don't you think it's weird how particularly in original Beauty and the Beast the whole town is like Belle is weird because she likes reading <laughs> it's about there's, there's a really good book called um, by Philip Pullman called Grim Tales oh yeah and um, he talks about fairy stories and um, the tradition of passing on stories and he says that it's very and what, what he does in them is he picks a fairy story he retells it and mm-hmm. then afterwards he talks about why he made the choices he did oh, okay. and he talks in the introduction about how um, characters in fairy stories are deliberately two dimensional right so you start, once upon a time there was a princess that's all you find out about that person right. there was a princess There's and that's princess. all you know about so um so when you meet these characters out you know i mean if you the disney's original snow white she's no personality no none she's barely got a face yeah, they've barely she, drawn a face for her. <laughs> <laughs> she's just a, a big mark there yeah. but, um, shush women bloody hen night over there <laughs> Having a party. <laughs> women having a party over there. Bloody women can't keep their bloody voice down. Someone's just reeled a hoover by very noisily. It's as if they don't get that this is a very, very, very important, important podcast. podcast. So, um, so yeah, so that's what I'd So with Beauty and the Beast, I, I like the creative choices. I don't think Emma Watson's performance matched the creative choices. Okay. Maybe a little bit too much CGI used on the Beast. I found... Um, the beast <laughs> I didn't like the design of him because I think he looked like a character from Tekken <laughs> oh you said this before and I said what's Tekken and, and Lawrence Owen said it's a series of films with Liam Neeson <laughs> <laughs>
Gareth. Suze. Mm. What do you think is the worst film you've ever seen? Ooh. <laughs> oh, it depends what the category is. I mean, is it a bad film because it's like wildly dated or is it a mm. bad film because it was just I walked out I walked out of the Fantastic Four to Rise of the Silver Surfer okay right that's the only film I've ever it wasn't even out on of. my radar I didn't see it no so but, but that was just because it was badly made but there's lots yeah. of badly made films yeah I don't know actually I couldn't I couldn't focus on one there's lots of films I hate but you, you know there's <laughs> some films I hate because it's just not my genre yeah is it yeah you can still go like oh, I can see it's I made very properly. very very like, well not famously like it's not look, ask anyone in the street famously no but I'm well known amongst my friends and peer group for hating Oscar season because <laughs> it's, I just find the film so it's it's where everyone starts to like I'm important now I mean right. something but again that's just my taste I like musicals and blockbusters and, right you know bells and whistles I don't want to watch one girl in a teacup or whatever, whatever it is, what is that? I don't know that's Beauty and the Beast that's, that's... Bell and Chip ah. <laughs> hey. oh. Oh, oh. Oh, never off <laughs> I'm very proud of that that's staying in <laughs> no but you know like it'll be, it'll be like an hour, an hour an hour and 20 minutes of one girl sat in a cafe stirring a teaspoon thinking about a relationship with a dad or something that like that that is not a film that has ever existed it will do now I've put it, put it out there <laughs> well I think it's good that there's a film with a female lead <laughs> this and one girl in a teacup is, uh, is available if... <laughs> one girl in a teacup eh that's basically me right now but I can think of a bad film we watched one night in Edinburgh <laughs> last year Gareth went oh let's watch let's get a pizza and watch a watch a film oh and we God. were going through Netflix and we went oh do you know what would be fun let's watch burlesque yeah that'll be camp that'll be that'll be a bit of that'll fun be a camp, and we, it really got us down yeah it was it, was <laughs> it wasn't so bad. bad enough it that's wasn't what, that's what but it wasn't it was it's it wasn't like showgirls which is no. enjoyable bad yeah. it was like just it's just really, unwatchable yeah it's really sad because you can see Cher and Christina Aguilera both going like I think I might get a Golden Globe nomination here. <laughs> Probably not an Oscar nomination, but maybe a Globe nomination. I think we're, I think we're recreating the and magic Alan of Cumming the old musicals. Nothing in it. No, at one part, there's one point where he, like, he, it's meant to be very clear that he's gay, and there's a bit where he like has to do a dance where he sniffs a woman's crotch and then goes, "Pee you." <laughs> <laughs> well, quite right. <laughs> it's, oh, it's a very odd film, and it's got um. I've completely forgotten his name. That guy from Devil Wears Prada who played Stan Tucci. Stanley Tucci. Yes, it. it's got him in it, and he was plays... also in Beauty and the Beast. Oh, is he? Who's he? He's um, the piano. Oh right. Yeah, plays the piano. <laughs> Whoa, he, he, uh... oh, I didn't even notice him. Yeah, I was but that's how going. good an actor he is. He is very good. Mm. Well, and also I mainly know him from The Devil Wears Prada and Burlesque, where he plays an identical character in both. He's the same. They obviously went. We really like what you did in the Devil Wears Prada. They made Prada. it the No, when, uh, 2010 was Burlesque. When was Devil Wears oh, Prada? Oh, Devil Wears Prada much earlier, 2006? like 2000. Yeah, pro probably. That, now, wasn't that an excellent film? Devil Wears Prada. Yeah. Did you like yes, it? Yes, I do. I Miranda did, I did like Priestley, it. She, what a character. Yeah. An icon. I think um, Meryl Streep and Anne Hathaway are great together. Mm. I, I'm, I'm saying yes, like mm, yes. No, I really like the film. I've also read the book, which is terrible. Oh no, the I, book is it terrible. Looks it, though. It does. Yeah, they've it done. Looks... It's one of those rare cases where they've got the the book and made a better film. You, um, Sex and the City is the same. The television series yeah, is the much book more is enjoyable. A, a than very the book. odd book, isn't it? Really, mm. it's, it's like doesn't quite it's know what it is. Of, a collection of essays. Yeah, and it doesn't know what point it's making, and then yeah. meanders around. Um, can you think of any other films that have better? I can't think of anything because I'm buzzing on this coffee <laughs> right now. It's just gone right to my head. My my little input on that is I think High Fidelity, the film, is better than the Nick Hornby book. I think it's a great. I've never, never read the book or seen the film. Oh. <laughs> so. Well, I still think we should talk about this for the next twenty minutes. <laughs> Don't know, Sue. Who who would you say is your favourite actor? I had, um, it's a weird question, I know. Well, I mean, you know, we were just talking about Meryl Streep. Anything, mm. anything she touches is, is gold. Yeah, she's got that Tim Curry thing where she has, she's yeah. always like 
elevates something. And she brings something up to her level. And if she if she if she picks a project, it gives me great faith in it. Yes. Like the film adaptation of Into the Woods. Yeah. When they announced Meryl Streep, I thought, oh good. Yeah, and there were a lot of people going like, can she sing? And then you watch it and not only can she sing, but she sings it so well that she may as well do the part on Broadway. <laughs> she, yeah, do you know, she did really well. She reminds me of Imelda Staunton in mm. a way that she wasn't a singer and then she did one little bit of a musical mm-hmm. and then she worked. So Imelda um, Staunton did the same on stage with, she never did a musical, mm. never done a musical and then she was in Sweeney Todd yeah. which, which is good. Not, yeah. I, but it's an easier role to sing than Mama Rose. It, I guess it is. It's not as, like, Worst Pies in London is a tough sing. No, no, no. But it, yeah, I see what you're saying. But, but it doesn't have a huge range. But she, you could you could yeah. put uh, you could put up a what's a better term a character actress in the role, mm, and they can mm. get away with the part. You know Absolutely, what I mean? yeah. And they then don't you could, have but to, you could also yeah. put a belting singer in the part. Yes. And they could, you, you know, whereas yeah. Mama Rose, you couldn't really get away with Fagin in it. You know? No, I mean? no, you can't go. You'll be so well. You'll be great. Yeah. <laughs> Speak singing. You couldn't, you couldn't Rex Harrison. You couldn't. Mama Rose. You couldn't put Emma Watson as Mama Rose. <laughs> Can you imagine? I'd like that. I could, she, she could be Louise. Everything's coming. I can't do like auto noise. Rosen. Oh, have you heard? Have you heard this? I'm sorry, I sing too well. <laughs> no, I just said I can't make the noise auto tune. So, so, sorry, I can't sing like that. Oh, sorry, I just can't sing badly. I can, as was proven, <laughs> as was proven in many performances I gave at last year's Fringe. Uh, no, I can't like make the noise of auto tune. It's really hard to do it. But uh, do so, it? so Meryl Streep is like. Do it. Uh, no, let's talk Come about on, films. let's make kind no. of got to take Suze. Fil- so films, eh? But I think I feel like she really went away and trained yeah, as a singer. Exactly. And I think they all worked with Sondheim individually as yeah. well, which is like But it's the amazing. same it's the same thing, like Donna in Mamma Mia, you can mm. you can stick a character actress in it if yeah, you want. And but the witching into the woods, you got uh, that no. children were, not children yeah, children will listen children and, listen. Last, and midnight. last midnight. They're, they're, oh, mm. they're, they're epic songs. Yeah, you can hear a big difference in her voice from Mamma Mia to Into the Woods. Oh, absolutely. Um, Mind you, there's a good ten year gap between the two films. Mm. I think you're right, yeah, certainly seven or eight years. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, she she I think everyone in Into the Woods was so good. I feel like like right down to the James Corden gets on my whip a little bit. You don't like him, do you? I slagged him off on the radio and Gabby Rosling <laughs> cut me off. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just one of those surreal facts of life that has now happened. So we would like we would. Well, how did it go? So I'll I be Gabby a... Roslin and you be Gareth. This is like you know James Corden. Well, no. Uh, so I was I, so I was on London Live as Myra promoting the talk, mm. and we started to talk about carpool karaoke, and yeah. and I just ad libbed. Oh, James James um, Corden's got very successful, hasn't he? And Gabby Roslin was like, Yeah, yeah, he has. And two people off the only way is Essex. I'm knowing that. And then <laughs> she went. She went, and she went, yeah, they have. And then I just followed it up with, and he knows he's getting away with it as well. You can see it in his eyes. And then did Gabby Rossi go, whoa, 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 And, th- and then Gabby Rossi went, well, he is very good anyway. <laughs> anyway, so. Anyway, and then quickly plays a song. <laughs> but, in like, but in my head, it, the song has to whir interaction. Like, it's on a record. And it's like, you ain't seen nothing yet. Come on, baby, you just ain't seen nothing yet. <laughs> it's something that's something you're never gonna forget. So he, Garrett, but some just, people really like him, and he did really well. You, you, you know, it, it, I, I don't. I just can't muster up. He's not hate people. He's, he's, not a, he's not a celebrity in the true sense of the word. Like he did act for years at the national. And yeah, I was, just think he was very good in Into the Woods, and I think it's a real shame that they cut the Baker's song. Uh, I've only seen Into the Woods on stage once. Okay, there's a a, a a fantastic song that they cut, which is a real great shame. story, Suze. <laughs> people, shut up, Gareth. Right. Um, vote now for your least favourite podcast guest. Oh, look, Gareth won. <laughs> Gareth won because everyone hates him. And, and look, I'm getting oh look, I'm getting tweets on my phone, but from the future because it's suddenly released yet. What's this tweet say? Hey, Suze, you did really well considering. Oh, thanks, stranger. The term Disney vibes, I, mm. I, I take umbrage with because, mm-hmm. like Disney, in my in my in my humble little opinion, mm-hmm. uh, have like consistently had the best storytellers at their disposal. Yeah. So, like, if you the sixties with this, the Shaman Brothers that wrote. Oh yeah, I think you're right, and they did all the music for Mary Poppins, Mary Poppins and, and everything. Mm-hmm. They were excellent, and like when you think the people that wrote Let It Go are the same people that wrote Avenue Q and Book yes. of Mormon. 
So they yes. they use the best, and so their films are always consistent, and they're excellent storytellers. And a lot of these stories that they got hold of, the changes have been made before. So Cinderella's mm-hmm. always used as an example. People always go, "Did you know actually in the original, the other sisters get blinded?" Well, right. not in not in the French version, which is based okay. on Charles Perrault, uh, Jean Charles Perrault or something like. I don't know. Okay. Google it. But they. Uh, <laughs> It's the end of the podcast that's, now. Before that, we were fact checking, and that, now was, just that like, was very dad, Gareth. Google it. <laughs> we were fact checking and shit before, and now we're just like, oh, hey, look at Charles Perrelli or something. <laughs> so, so like that changes already happened before Disney got hold of it, right? And so it, that's not Disney fired it since. And so when they got into the woods, mm-hmm. everyone, everyone was scared. There was lots of there was lots of um, people angry that Emily Blunt didn't die on screen. What do you want? Do you want guts or something like that? The worst thing about someone dying isn't the death; it's the grief that follows, which they portrayed really well. Really well, and also um, the—it's like Alfred Hitchcock. The less you show, the more Mm. you imagine, and Mm -hmm. it was very artistically and beautifully done. I felt the the moment I knew we were safe was in the opening song into the woods yeah. is when um, the the witch referred to her garden being pillaged as raping me and when yes. that lyric was kept they in kept I went it. oh good like yeah. where he said they're, they're yeah. it, they've, they've done it justice they but. did they and I think it's so hard to put a musical on screen particularly something like Into the Woods mm. I think they did a really really great job Stephen's sometimes it. very conceptual with his shows isn't yeah. he there's always and it's never a straightforward story and because everyone always, yeah. when the, the one thing that everyone says when they see Into the Woods is, I thought it finished at the interval. Mm, so mm-hmm. they did that very well. They did. Yeah. I think uh, I think in this day and age, we're ready, this is quite niche, but we're ready for assassins to be made into a I've film. I've never seen it. I've been in it two different times because I love it so much. It's fucking amazing. It's, a, it's about... The, all the people who've tried to assassinate presidents mm. and they all meet in the show. Might be due an update. <laughs> and this time, they'd be the bloody hero. <laughs> uh. We're talking about Donald Trump. Susie's, I'm not. I love America. <laughs> <laughs> I think we should end it there. <laughs> Gareth, is there anything? Where can people find you? Where can people Any find premier you? Any premiere in. <laughs> people can find me on internet and Facebook. So but what are you on Twitter? At Gareth Joyner. I'm at Gareth Joyner and there is an at Mara Dubois and there is an oh. at Frank Lavender. Have you got a Frank Lavender as Frank, well? Frank Lavender's on Twitter, yeah. Oh. When's uh, your next show that well, they could the come the show see? that I will plug will be the 18th of June. That's mm. the 18th of June, listeners, at the Charing Cross Theatre where Mara Dubois will be doing her new show, Dubois Entendre. Fantastic. A, A. And um, Frank Lavender will be opening for her. Oh, magnificent. So people should come to that one. And also, tell us when your Edinburgh shows are on. My Edinburgh shows are in... (laughs) My Edinburgh shows are in August from the whatever of August to the whatever. I'm not Googling. The 3rd to the 27th. I think I have to finish on the 26th. 3rd to the 26th. 3rd to the 26th. Um, I've got Myra Dubois, Dubois Entendre at the Counting House at half past Mm ten. And then Frank Lavender, Fragile Masculinity at the Counting House at half past four. Great. So, yeah, half past four and 10.30 at night. And uh, they're both free. You've got to pay on the way out. No, you're giving back. <laughs> yeah, they're free. They're free shows. Just pay what you think they're worth in the bucket on the way out. Don't pay that much. <laughs> oh no, that's too much. Stop it. I'm gonna. I know what how, what I'm gonna pay you. I'm just gonna be sick in the bucket. Oh, yeah. What an horrible thing to yeah, say to finish off. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening, everybody. I hope you enjoyed our silly chat. Just to let you know, you can follow me on Twitter at SoozUK, S-O-O-Z-U-K. The UK is for United Kingdom for now. And it would be great if you could leave a review on iTunes if you've enjoyed this podcast. Okay, see you next week. Bye.